So we had been discussing the uh, prayers of Kunti. We never finished that uh, section of the Bhagavatam. There are a few more verses. So I thought we return to those and try to finish them before my departure for Madhavan. <coughs> and so we come to verse 37 tonight. This is the eighth chapter of the first canto of the Bhagavatam. And Kunti Devi has been glorifying Krishna uh, beautifully, and there's a reason for that. Uh, there's a motive behind her unmotivated glorification, and uh, that motivation comes out in these uh, <coughs> endings, verses, beginning with tonight's verse, just previous to this verse the context of her glorification was uh, for the last section um, helping us to sort out the real reason for Krishna's descent by stating that he ap- appeared for different reasons. Maybe for this reason, some say for that reason, some say for, for this reason. Ultimately, he came to... protect his devotees from the, the, uh, their separation from him and propagate devotional service by, of, of hearing and chanting and so forth. Mm-hmm. And so tonight she says, rajasu <laughs> Yojitam Hasam. So here she states the position of Bhagavan Sri Krishna in one respect, and she also then states the position of herself and her sons, the Pandavas. <clears throat> and she makes a large uh, contrast between the two, even though one is Bhagawan and the other uh, 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 is the devotee. And we've often said that love, which the devotee embodies, and Krishna are one. There's also a big difference between the devotees and Krishna in that eko bahunam yobhidati kalman. Jeta, uh, that that the one is maintaining the many. Hmm? So she says here, "O oh, my Lord, who uh, accomplishes uh, uh, tasks um, without the help." of anyone who's satya sankalpa she doesn't use that word here she says sakritehita sakritehita self-executed whose duties whose actions are all self-executed satya sankalpa means whatever he wishes it happens so it's a similar kind of idea whatever he does um, he's behind it. He's the supreme will. Uh, he's not dependent upon anybody else in order to accomplish anything. 
And so it's a, it's a, begins with a beautiful glorification of him. This is your position. <clears throat> then she goes on to say that um, our position uh, is, is different. We are completely dependent upon your mercy. For us to accomplish anything, to do anything, we're 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 not in an independent position. It's like it's mentioned in the Gita that for any activity, there are a number of factors. Five are mentioned. One is the, the will of the jiva, and the other is the will of Bhagwan. So, as Prabhupada used to say, man proposes and God disposes. So we may want to do something, but we're dependent upon Him in order to do it. We may plant seeds, but without rain and sun, uh, they won't grow. Hmm. So the rain and the sun are the divinatrena, the divine providence and so forth, and then the planting of the seeds is our action. <clears throat> so in order to get the results, we need his sanction, we need his blessing. And the Pandavas, of course, are very much blessed by Krishna, hmm. very very dear, very close to him, and that's all coming out in these beautiful prayers. We may remember that they began... After Uttara was was praying and pra- praising Krishna for his wonderful act of protecting uh, the Pandavas in general, and in particular protecting the grandson of uh, of Arjuna, hmm? Parikshit Maharaj, who was uh, attacked by the powerful weapon unleashed by. Um, Ashvatama, Ashvatama, yes, Ashvatama, um, protected uh, in the womb um, by Lord Krishna, who's present within and uh, manifests in a very extraordinary way to protect him. So this is very, very wonderful. And uh, Kunti has picked up where she left off in her glorification of him. We're entering into a, some... Um, uh, of, the, of the feeling of Uttara and and um, more so that of Kunti. I've mentioned that her love for Krishna is parental, uh, vatsalya, but uh, her love is also mixed with some knowledge of his godhood and that's coming out in his prayer. She, she seems to uh, move between the two sides. Hmm. Uh, I'm protecting you like a son. You're protecting me. Hmm. Um, so she speaks here of his godhood and of herself, the Pandava's dependence upon him. And she says, in that regard, we have completely taken shelter of you. There's, we have no other protector. Hmm. This is a a a. a uh, uh, speaks of a limb of Sharanagati. Rakshikshatidivishvashvo means vishvash, the mood that corresponds with this aspect of Sharanagati is a, is a conviction. Vishvash means faith, it means conviction. Conviction that Krishna is my protector and he will protect me. Hmm? And Goprutvevaranam Tata means that I accept him as my maintainer, that, I, that uh, 
I'm dependent upon him, therefore he maintains me. I just do his service. Um, so these are very central. Gopatri Varanam Tata has been highlighted, as I've mentioned many times, by our uh, charges as the Swarup Lakshan of Sharanagati. But, but Rakshikshati Vishvashvo, this one is a mood of dependence. Hmm? Um, Krishna is my uh, maintainer. The other is a, is a mood of conviction, slightly different. There are moods that correspond with these uh, aspects or limbs of Sharanagati, dependence with regard to his being the maintainer, and confidence with regard to his being the protector. There's a beautiful song we sing sometimes at Madhavan, written by Bhaktivinoda Thakur, Atma Samarpane, Atma Samarpane, Gila Abhiman, where Bhaktivinoda Thakur s- sings about this uh, Vishpras, this confidence of the, uh, of the Sharanagata that the Lord will protect him. And he goes through the various pastimes in the Brajlila of the cowherds being protected from Krishna, by Krishna, from various demons and so on and so forth. <clears throat> and that, incidentally, of course, that, that uh, Vishwas, uh, that kind of confidence, is very central also to Sakirasa. They have, they're a very confident group of persons confident about their position and about their relationship with Krishna. Hmm. They have no, no doubts about it. And by, by contrast, the gopis are full of doubts about whether Krishna loves them or not. The cowards, they all think, Krishna loves me the most. And as I said before, Sanatana Prabhu in his Brihat Bhagavatamrita commentary says, and they're all right. Every one of them is correct. Krishna loves each one of them the most. Hmm. And they all have that sensibility. Uh, no wonder they do. Uh, the gopis, of course, he loves each of them the most as, as well, but the nature of that romantic love is that it, it has some uh, self-doubt built into it. Mm. Like sometimes the wife says, you never say that you love me. Mm. Sometimes something like that. So, um, some side points. But here, at any rate, she speaks about the fact that Krishna is, really saying, Krishna is our maintainer, Krishna is our protector, and we've been in difficult situations where we've needed protection. And our situation, dear Krishna, is no different now. Because now the war is over, the Pandavas have survived, and so forth, but in the process we killed many people, many other kings. And so there are many sons and relatives of those kings and so forth that are going to be inimical towards us, hold hold us uh, responsible and so forth. So we, we're in a difficult situation. And she says, and I, and I bring this up because it appears that you're leaving and going to Dwarka. So, as I said, in these verses, the reason for her glorification is there. She wants him to stay. We should be selfless. That's true. And if our Lord wants to go at a distance from us, and that pleases him, then we're all right with that. But still we would prefer that he stays with us. <laughs> Something like that. So this is not a bad 
desire. I had the experience of very much wanting to be with Prabhupada. You may know the story, but uh, uh, one year Prabhupada arrived at the airport in Los Angeles, and I was distributing his books there. And we used to go, it was myself and one other god sister of mine, we would go incognito uh, and carry books in a suitcase. It was illegal to sell books there, and we would sneak around the airport, sit down next to somebody and open the bag and pull out a book and share with them and sell books like this. And the police were always looking for us, particularly for me. They were, I was there more often. They were looking for me everywhere. I, had, I learned every nook and cranny of the airport. Um, on one occasion, they were, uh, had me trapped because I would be distributing and then some of the flight attendants or people at the counters and so forth, they would see me and then they would call the security. Hmm? And so I remember one occasion, I, I thought, it's the gig is up here, you know, they've got me now. Because <laughs> they were coming up the escalator and the airport was such that there was a certain sections that were for departure were up the up escalator and then there was a an area up there and there was no you know way out except the down escalator and... They were coming up the es- up escalator, and they were looking at the down escalator, and there was somebody at the bottom of the down escalator waiting for me to, to come down. And I was very, I was very absorbed in my um, service, and Krishna gave me a, a, a very prominent sixth sense to, to realize that lady is calling a security on me right now, and then I would move accordingly. And it proved very much always to be true or this guy, or, you know, I would see different signs and I'd realize they're coming after me. And so on this occasion, you know, I looked and I could see the situation and I didn't know where to go, where to turn. I looked behind me, there was a door. Exit. So I just went through the door. And they had a staircase that went down into the the runway and there was a bus down there. I knew nothing about this, but it was apparently an employee's bus that would take employees different terminals. I just hopped on the bus as if I was an employee. Next thing you know, I was in another terminal. Uh, they thought I did some kind of mystic vanishing act or something, which I guess I guess I did. <laughs> uh, you know, even the mystic cities are, are explainable, ultimately. <laughs> so, uh, I should add, uh, sorry for going on, it's an inter- interesting story, but uh, side point, but there were a couple of cases where they did catch me, I think twice. And they hauled me off to the uh, the on-site uh, station, police station. And by the time, both times, by the time I got there, I had talked them out of it and, and talked them into letting me go. I said, you know, I'm just here, you know, so I'm serving God, you know, and <laughs> that kind of thing. And they, they, just, they just let me go. Told me never to come back again. I was back the next day, of course. <laughs> Uh, I used to wear a wig and secular clothes and, and, and whatnot. And uh, I remember one, one time, we used to, we were, this was quite a long time ago, and it was fashionable to wear long hair, and we were accustomed to talking to young people who were more our age. The idea of talking to, to, to businessmen was, was very, um, um, it was difficult to accommodate. We talked to young guys, come coming back from the military, you know, were against the war, and, um, and uh, young people in school, and, and young people traveling for the most part. Only later we 
try to crack the case and talk to businessmen as well. But um, at any rate, my point is, we I wore a wig with uh, like long hair, which was fashionable amongst young people. Um, I remember even one guy from the military. I sold him several books, and um, and he was very much appreciative. And then he looked closely at me and said, are you wearing a wig? And I said, yeah, actually, I'm wearing a wig. I've got a head, head shaved. I'm a monk. And, and he said, could I, could I buy that from you too? So, because he had his head shaved and he was coming out of the military, you know, and he wanted to be, you know, <laughs> 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 to fit in. So I, I sold him the wig. <laughs> Anyway, then I bought a short-haired wig because I had already had something like that in mind because they were so, um, they knew me, you know, so well. Hmm? Everywhere that was getting more and more difficult not to be, you know, seen, had to be on the on lamb running from the uh, security and so forth. And so I got this short-haired wig, looked like um, a more um, respectable person and so forth, and then to try it out um, to see how it would work, I uh, came and posed before one of the Iskand sannyasis. I was in a sannyasi at that time as a new perspective bhakta interested in Krishna consciousness. And I and I asked, you know, let his assistant that I could see him, you know. And so they brought me in and I would think it was Sri Ananda Maharaj. And so he was preaching to me, you know, Krishna consciousness. And, <laughs> and I was going on and on, you know, and I was giving intelligent answers. And, whatnot. <laughs> and, and I told him who I was. And so I thought, it's a good disguise. It, it works. But when I went through the first security check, the guy there looked right in the eye, me right in the eyes, and I could tell he knows it's me. <laughs> sure enough, he was on the phone. But anyway, these are some <laughs> some stories of the past. Um, How did we get into that? (laughs) Um, I guess um, Krishna protects his devotees. I don't don't know. That's what we were talking about. (laughs) How he protects them, that his his service may go on as he sees fit, and so on and so forth. But um, maybe that's not the connecting point, but What was the first story I told with it? With the airports? No, be, be, before that, before that. Right. So, Prabhupada, so that was my position. And then on Fridays was a very busy day at the airport. Mm-hmm. And that Friday at two in the afternoon, Prabhupada was coming uh, to Los Angeles. So, I went out in my secular dress and I was selling books and then um, and Prabhupada came in at, at let's just say two o'clock so I went and changed my clothes into my devotional attire and greeted Prabhupada with you know several hundred devotees all in the airport in those days it wasn't like it is today and they were doing kirtan in the airport for Prabhupada's arrival and so forth and so um, we escorted Prabhupada down the aisle and out to the car. And, of course, everybody was just, all the way was running to their vehicles to follow Prabhupada back to the temple. And 
there I was, you know, the afternoon, it was Friday afternoon, and this was the busiest time, busier than the morning. So I was, thought, what well, I want to, I really want to go with Prabhupada. Hmm? I really want to. Hmm? But maybe he really wants me to stay here because this is a busy time for service and I could sell so many books and I shouldn't miss out on the Friday afternoon, you know, traffic and so on and so forth. So I'm giving an example of how they want to be with Krishna, but they think for service, if it pleases him that I'm not, then then I won't be. But it doesn't necessarily eradicate the desire of wanting to be with him. That That's constant in the devotees. To finish that story, of course, then what happened was I stayed out there and sold the books and I was I felt extremely empowered and I was extremely absorbed and everyone was taking the book and so forth. And I felt Prabhupada's presence very much there um, in his absence. And, and when I returned and uh, drove drove back, uh, I remember I came on to, uh, off the, uh, the highway and then on to Venice Boulevard in Venice Boulevard, it was a huge long string of traffic lights, and every one of them was green and turning green just as I got there. You know, for it, it facilitate that's what I felt like the, the gates are opening. You know, <laughs> so it might appear imaginative in a sense, and even so, not a bad thing. But when I arrived, the devotees confronted me and said, "Prabhupada's been talking about you mm-hmm. and what in your service." And so I realized how much I was present with him in the spirit of wanting to serve him and doing necessity uh, and uh, how much he was present in the service that I was doing and so forth. So, at any rate, Kunti Devi does not want Krishna to go to Dwarka. She wants him to stay here, so now she's beginning to reveal her desire. She's been praising him and glorifying him, and her her glorification is, is selfless and pure and so forth, but she has a spiritual desire, nonetheless, to be with him. These desires are, are um, uh, desirable. <laughs> uh, that should be the result of our service, that we want to be with Krishna, want to be with our guru, want to have the sadhusanga, and so on and so forth. So, <clears throat> so she says, you're leaving us now. You are independent, you accomplish all your acts independently by your own uh, will. Um, we are, uh, and you're leaving us now, and our position is that we're completely dependent upon you. Hmm? Not only are we dependent upon you and, and your mercy, there's no one else that we are s- such in our dependence upon you that there's no one else that, that can protect us. Uh, we've taken shelter of you exclusively. Hmm? No other god or goddess can we petition. No other person, and 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 our position is is very much it one it, 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 that is in need of protection at the present. Because here we've been involved in this war, and all these people have been killed, and we're going to have uh, enemies and people who are holding us responsible for the death of their elders, and so on and so forth. So there's there's no time. That perhaps it might have seemed in the past that we needed your protection during the war, but it hasn't changed. We very much need it now. Now, besides the inner uh, feelings, the bhava of all of this, there are some uh, 
uh, nice uh, points, general points that Prabhupada raises in his uh, in his commentary. He emphasizes the fact that the dependence of the devotee is something that's very desirable. Whereas, materially speaking, to be dependent upon another is very undesirable and unbecoming. And there's a sense in material life of uh, the the value in being self-reliant, independent, especially in Western culture, that rugged individualism and, and so forth. And to be a dependent entity, uh, this is uh, unbecoming and undesirable. But that uh, so-called independence and individualism and so forth, Prabhupada points out, uh, is is a very much flawed uh, position. Sometimes people say, I don't mind, Swami, that you believe in God if you need that. Hmm? Psychologically, you know, I'm not against religion. I don't believe in God, but I'm not against religion. If it helps people, hmm? if you have that kind of weak psychology that you, you need that someone to hold you up, imaginary as they may be, but it enables you to fare better in life as a result of it, then I have no objection to that. Hmm? <laughs> so our response, of course, is that that yes, I'm very much needy, and the difference between you and I is that you don't think you're needy. You think that you're not needy, that you're independent. But that is a very um, um, foolish idea. We are dependent in so many ways, so many practical ways. We're dependent on nature to accomplish things. Um, and however strong we may be, and apparently independent and so forth. Uh, they, they say time and tide waits for no man or woman. Hmm? And, and there are many, many examples, of course, at the uh, folly of modern civilization and its attempt to conquer over uh, nature, and Prabhupada brings that out here. This idea of conquering over nature and and, and being the Lord, in effect, we make very, very bad gods in comparison to Krishna. If you want to make a comparison, the idea, the very idea of Krishna hmm? against the idea that we are the masters of our own destiny and can conquer nature and so forth, you find um, a very charming person on the one hand hmm? and a rather unbecoming person um, on the other, inevitably. However nicely one wants to be a controller. Hmm? Um he, he, he or she has to be unnice to someone. Hmm. And uh, Krishna, of course, is, is kind to everyone, even those he um, slays in his leela are liberated, and he does it, of course, to protect his devotees who whose um, protection results in the creation of sakriti for others and so on and so forth, even the inimical. Hmm. The devotees themselves are described dira dira janapriya by the Goswami by Srinivas. Even the even the adiras, the unsober, the the, the uh, unregulated, uh, wild people like them. This is shubhada, one of the qualities of bhakti, auspiciousness. The devotee becomes 
auspicious people like the devotee. Of course, we might say, well, it doesn't look like everybody likes the devotee. Um, we mean every, every, every decent person. There's always going to be demons. But even amongst them, hmm, there are many instances of the devotees um, being able to, to, to charm them. Hmm? When it says that the devotee is Shubhata, it means the devotee, from a from the point of view of a of a of a uh, of a good person, the devotees are really good people. Hmm? If you don't like good people, what can be done? <laughs> but from the point of view of a good of, of good people, hmm? devotees appear to be really good people, so they become very desirable, hmm? very likable very attractive. So, at any rate, um, so why is it so? Because they're associated with Bhagavan. Hmm? They, they are dependent upon him. Their lives are um, protected by, by him, maintained by him, and so on and so forth. Hmm? Um, and so, that dependent position is very, very desirable. That's a position of real strength. When we and the measure to which we understand our weakness is the extent to which, uh, is the point at which our strength, uh, real strength begins. The extent to which we don't understand our weakness, then we're really weak. Hmm? And uh, if you look at the material predicament from the Vedantic point of view, uh, we are really dependent entities. The, karmic, the karma is anadi. Hmm? It's built up. It's a, 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 a huge stockpile of, of unmanifest sinful reactions or pious reactions, good or bad karma, that's, that will gradually turn into kuta, bija, and falunmukam or parabdha. It's uh, overwhelming. Sometimes the example is given of the chitra, chitra, what is his name? Chitragupta, the the uh, secretary of Yamaraj, hmm? who's noting down all the thoughts and actions of everyone, hmm? keeping a list. He's a data processor, data entry job, and he's got a huge computer keeping keeping track of of various <laughs> ways to describe of everything. Hmm? Uh, <clears throat> Uh, very difficult, of course, to sort out the karma. I mentioned this to some extent on the call, the conference call this morning with other devotees. Krishna says in the Gita, very difficult to understand the ways of karma. <clears throat> and very difficult also to understand bhakti, which appears like karma, which appears to be an undesirable, undesirable in some respects, dependent as the devotees are, but actually is, is, is very desirable and very glorious, and very independent. Because by dependence upon Krishna, the one who is actually independent, as he's described here, results in independence from material nature, hmm. liberation, and, of course, more, prem. So, and what is the power of that? That Krishna himself was independent, becomes dependent. Hmm. Now, we'll wonder here, well, Krishna's dependent on prem, that's true. Can the prem of Kunti keep him there? We're on the edge of our seat. He's about to go to Dwarka, and she knows it. Uh, she's arguing here with him. Hmm? She raises the point 
from the, if we enter into the sentiments now of it, of it all, she's raising the point that that we need protection more now than ever, um, and we've been become accustomed to having you as our protector. We know no other protector, nor do we want anyone. Do we have faith in any other protector? And it appears that you're about to leave for, for, the, for us, for, for Dwarka and, and the, the company of the Adus and so forth. Um, how can you go? And the, the feeling of it, of course, was Krishna saying, well, um, I've got devotees there too, and I've got things to do. In Dwarka, I've got things I need to accomplish. In Dwarka, you know, I'm here to establish the Dharma, and so forth. And it's my uh, work is not done, so I've got to go to Dwarka. You, please, you know, forgive me. I appreciate your sentiments. I'd love to stay, but I have things to do. Hmm? So the first line of this verse is really Kunti's reply to that, she says, "Whatever you want to do is already." A self-accomplished. You, you don't have to go there to accomplish anything. Hmm? She, she has called him Swakritehita. He whose uh, duties are self-accomplished, again, he such as, whatever you want, such as Ankalpa, will happen. So there's, there's no need for you to go there. Hmm? So she appeals to him from the point of view of his being God hmm? to keep him there in terms of her uh, sentiment as uh, in, 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 in parental love and her position as, the, as a Sharanagata, of course, as well as a, as a Premika. Hmm? Um, these are very charming arguments here. Kunti is the first of which she's uh, raising in a discussion. Um, you're God, you don't need to go there. But she's treating him by saying that, that like he's not a god at the same time. I want you to stay here with us, Pandavas. We're like your family members. We've become accustomed to to your company in this way. We cannot think of living without you and, and who will protect us and so on and so forth. Hmm. So, uh, then she goes on. She says, Kevayam nama rupabhyam yadubi sahapandava bhavato darshanam yarhi she says, as the name and fame of a particular body is finished with the disappearance of the living spirit, similarly, if you do not look upon us, all your fame and activities, all our fame and activities, both the Pandavas and the Yadus, We'll end it once. She's basically giving an example because the spirit of it is that Krishna has replied to her when she said, you don't need to go anywhere to accomplish anything. You say you've got things you've got to accomplish and to work, or you don't need to go anywhere, you just accomplish it. So you should stay here. And we need your protection. And we're dependent upon you. So Krishna says, you know, come on, I've got to go. And... And you've got the Pandavas to protect you. They won the war. I mean, they're, they're, you know, I, I established them, the righteous Pandavas, and, and Dharma in this connection with regard to this great uh, battle and so forth. And Yudhisthira you, you will be 
Um, you'll hear later on, he'll be crowned as the as the emperor and so on. So they're very powerful. So the Pandavas can protect you. Hmm? I should be able to go. Hmm? And she says that the Pandavas are very powerful. That's true. But the fact of the matter is, they're like, a, in reality, they're like a body without a soul. Hmm? Without you in their lives. Hmm? So their power is all derived from their connection with you. Without that connection, how could they prevail? This is indeed how they did prevail. You know the famous story of how Duryodhan went to Dwaraka in an attempt to get Krishna to join him on his side during the war because he knew that if Krishna took the side, his side, and fought against the Pandavas, they'd be finished. They couldn't even fight. The war would be over before it even started. They would, they would, they would give up, hmm? and uh, and Duryodhan would would prevail. So Duryodhan, with his uh, less than uh, fully devotional mentality, he went to Dwarka, and as it turned out, Arjuna had gone to Dwarka independently also to talk to Krishna and say, it looks like this war can't be avoided. Uh, even you've tried to um, deal with it diplomatically, but uh, they're insistent. And so Arjuna's going to ask Krishna to, to fight on his side. Hmm? And uh, Duryodhana got there and Arjuna had arrived ahead of time. He was sitting at Krishna's feet and Krishna was asleep. And he was waiting for Krishna to to wake up. And so Duryodhana thought, oh, let's see. Well, uh, he went and sat at Krishna's head. Because whoever asked first would have some sway. You know, I asked you first. Hmm? So you should be on my side. So Duryodhana reasoned that if I sit at his head... Arjuna's a fool, he's sitting at the feet. I'll sit at the head because when he wakes up, he'll see me first. Hmm. And then I'll ask him. And so they're waiting and Krishna woke up, of course, and looked at his feet first. <laughs> Where Arjuna was and Arjuna asked him and he said, yes. And, but then uh, Duryodhana was disappointed, of course, and so to pacify Duryodhana, he says, but you can take my armies. Hmm. And Duryodhana walked off thinking, I got the better part of the deal anyway. Hmm. I've got the armies of Krishna and I've got the promise of Krishna that he won't fight personally, but he'll be on Arjuna's side driving the chariot. Hmm? That's all Arjuna needed. You don't need to fight. You know, I don't need your armies. I just want you on my side. Hmm? We're doing this for you. And, uh, and, and of course, that alone gave the Pandavas, Arjuna and the Pandavas, the power hmm? to prevail in a very difficult uh, battle, which which they were outnumbered. And psychologically, it was very difficult. We see the pains of Arjun in thinking that he has to fight with whom he has to contend. His Even his his, his uh, grandfather, who was like a father to him, the grandsire Bhishmadev, and uh, his uh, martial arts guru, Dronacharya. Um, they're prominently... Um, prominent figures brought out in the Gita 
with whom Arjun had to fight. So psychologically it was very difficult. And of course, it's ultimately an ego death that he has to undergo, that, he's, at least that the Gita is teaching about. But at any rate, because Krishna was on the side driving the chariot, which means Arjun would say, turn here, turn there, go here, go there. Uh, just having him there gave him the strength, the power, the courage to prevail. So she's bringing that out here. Hmm? You say the Pandavas are strong to protect me, but they're own, they're, they're, without you, they're like a body without a soul. What, it's lifeless, has no power. Hmm? In this way, she's continuing to uh, argue with him very, in a very charming way hmm? to try to uh, persuade him to stay. Hmm? O Gandhara, O Gadadhar, excuse me, Krishna, our kingdom is now being marked by the impressions of your lotus feet, and therefore it appears beautiful. But if you leave, it will no longer be so. Hmm? All these cities and villages in this area are flourishing in all respects because the herbs and grains are in abundance, the trees are full of fruits, the rivers are flowing, the hills are full of minerals, and the oceans full of wealth, and all this is due to your being here and glancing over them. Hmm? She's saying everything that appears auspicious in our lives is not independent of our connection with you and your presence, which causes that environment to um, uh, respond in the way that it does, that makes this such a desirable um, place. So if you want to say to me, well, you're in a good place, it's very abundant, there's a lot of food, everything, you know, it's all because of you. Hmm? If you go away, it will all become vacant. What did Mahaprabhu say? Sunyaitam Jagat Sarvam. The whole Jagat, the whole world, Sunyaitam, become empty, become void, hmm? in separation from you. Hmm? Of course, the separation, as they say, makes the heart grow fonder, and the separation is actually very, very blissful. Mm-hmm. But in the context of it, there's a yearning for union at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's it's blissful, the separation from Krishna, because the object of contemplation that one is separated from is, is spiritual. Mm-hmm. And if he wants to go, he can go. Mm-hmm. And if it pleases him, fine, that will be our attitude. Still, we, as I say, still we would like him to stay. Mm-hmm. Both things. So in this way, she's arguing with him. Hmm? O Lord of the universe, O soul of the universe, O personality of the form of the universe, please, therefore, sever my ties of affection for the Pandavas and the Vrishnis. Hmm? So what she's saying here is she's becoming confused in her desire to keep him uh, uh, present and have his, his association. She says, you know, you're going to be here with the Pandavas, or you're going to be there with the, the Yadavas, the, the Rishnis. Um, both these two, this is causing me problems. Better I don't have any connection with either of them. Hmm? This is becoming, I, I'm becoming bewildered. Hmm? Uh, 
she doesn't really want to cut off her connection with the Pandavas and Vishnu's because they're devotees. Hmm. She's saying any, but she says from kind of a material perspective to teach us any obstacle that might be there, even family affection. Hmm. I would gladly give a death to that. I want, I, indeed, I prefer that all such ties would be cut off if in any way they cause some impediment to my being with you. Hmm. Apparently, ostensibly, whether you're going to be with the Vrishnis or the Pandavas is a, is a problem. It's a problem for me. Hmm. Um, and so, cut off my ties with them. Hmm. Krishna will argue, of course, that, well, they're devotees. I'd be going to cut, cut off your ties with them, you know. Hmm. And devotees are, in another sense, non-different from me. They're always thinking about me, and, and so they're always uh, chanting about me. I'm present, in some sense, obviously, in their in in their company. It's where I can be found, and so forth. Hmm. So yes, of course, no. She'll, she says she feels no. I, of course, I, you know, they're devotees. I, and I, and I, I want their association, and so forth. But my main point is that I don't want any obstacle. In my life, I want the flow of devotion for you to be such that I always have your good, good company, and that nothing will distract me. That nothing will get in the way. These are nice instructions for sadhakas. I want uninterrupted devotion. I want unmotivated. And I've already demonstrated that I have no other interest. I want uninterrupted. No obstacle will have, will have such a force that no obstacle will be able to check it. Hmm? So she says, O Lord Madhu, hmm? Lord, of, Lord of Madhu, as the Ganges forever flows to the sea without hindrance, let my attraction be constantly drawn unto you without being diverted by anyone or anything else. O Krishna, O friend of Arjun, various names now, she, she just nam some nam, nam kirtan hmm? to keep him there. O chief amongst the descendants of Vishnu, Vishni, you are the destroyer of all those political parties which were disturbing elements on this earth. Your prowess never, never deteriorates. You are the proprietor of the transcendental abode and you descend to relieve the distress of the cows, the Brahmins, and the devotees. You possess all mystic powers. You are the preceptor of the entire universe. You are the infallible God. I offer you my respectful obeisances and do as you like. That's the implication. This is your position. Hmm? If you're going to go, then I can't stop you, but I've made it clear. I would really like you to stay. I love you. Hmm. And in so many ways, and for so many good reasons. Hmm. So her affection for, for Krishna is very intense. And in this whole section of prayers, which ends there, she's given many, many good reasons why Krishna is lovable. Ultimately, of course, in Ragbhakti, we don't need any reasons. Hmm. We've become, we, we surpass all reasons, philosophical reasons, and. Uh, reasons for uh, his being uh, desirable other than his attractive. Hmm. But 
as I said uh, a number of times um, in these prayers, we find that Kunti Devi is moving in between. He's God and 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 my protector, and he's someone I love as as a parent, and and would come and and call me auntie and seek my blessing. So she's moving between these two, this Aishvarya and Madhurya, which is characteristic of her love. And in the context of that, many beautiful and important prayers, much uh, Siddhanta has come out and, and, and much, uh, I want to say, reason for um, becoming, a, for pursuing Sharanagati. Hmm? Are there any questions? Yes. Um, um, we know that there are different stages that Sanatha goes through, from Shadha and so on, and then he, uh, on some, after some time, he can achieve uh, the level of Mishta. And after Mishta, there is Roshi. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, like, because. Uh, Ruchin in this place of the person of the level of the stage of Ruchin really feels attraction to the devotional practices but it seems that uh, it is very difficult to attain Nishta stage and to be able to like constantly be engaged in, in the service that also requires some kind of uh, taste uh, it's true the reason that services anishta is because of lack of a ta- lack of taste. Hmm? So how can we attain nishta without taste? <laughs> so it's not that there's no taste in the stage of anishta. Even sometimes there's a taste and so forth, and that that drives us on and so forth. And um, we analyze the kind of practice that drew the taste, and we we try to um, to put ourselves in that type of intense service situation and so forth. But of course the mind uh, is is powerful and it distracts us and so forth. And there are desires in the heart that that arise and the force of our practice is such that they haven't been extinguished yet. Still some taste comes hmm, from time to time and this encourages us. So on the, on the kind of encouragement based on the taste, the knowing from one's own experience that, that it exists and it could be like that and much more all the time for us then we're driven by that to um, to come to the stage of steadiness and also we're driven to the stage of steadiness by our intelligence mm-hmm. by our intelligence that becomes absorbed in understanding the scriptural argument mm-hmm. for bhakti for the position of Krishna and so forth the efficacy of bhakti, and um, and as that becomes uh, more engaged, the intelligence, then it's more difficult to to deviate and to follow some spurious desire that arises and so forth. So some taste and intelligence, the scriptural argument, the philosophical and theological arguments and so forth and some taste and some even without t- taste some attraction to the lifestyle mm-hmm. and the company of others and so forth uh, these will uh, carry us 
into uh, into nishta. And of course, as the service becomes more steady, this, the taste becomes more consistent. Nishta is a kind of a stage where it's not that there's no taste, there's some taste. This taste becomes more consistent rather than less consistent. Uh, and and so we're encouraged by that. And it's also a position of where we start to watch our desires and we're we're not just taken by them. Just like, woke up this morning and there I was, taken away by my emotions and I couldn't practice. Mm. So we, our intelligence is in, spiritually guided and informed enough that we can militate, uh, militate against that kind of. So sometimes this kind of warrior type, you know, uh, um, analogy or metaphor is invoked. It's, they're certainly there in the Gita and so forth, where we are fighting against our lower nature, so to speak, in the context of trying to be steady in our devotional practices and so forth. So with, with, with the intelligence is, is more engaged, which is characteristic of moving in the direction of nishta, this discriminating power, exercising that, thinking about what I'm doing. This is what calls our, helps to call our progress, of course. Um, thinking about what I'm doing, understanding what I'm doing, it's, all these things, they help us to not be carried away by desires that we might, in lower stages, just more readily be overwhelmed and, uh, and we, 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 we understand the value of good association, we gravitate towards that, arrange our lives for that and so forth. And so this way we put certain things in place and we can come to the stage of nishta and then this, as, as, as we do, this, day, this taste becomes more, more um, consistent and and we, we, we find ourselves successful in stemming the tide of material desire that's still there in the heart. Hmm. It's still there in the heart. It's kind of a watchful stage. I'm watching it, and I'm not. It's, it pops its head up, and I, I push it down, and so forth. Whereas in Ruchi, it's not there. Therefore, Mahaprabhu says, Nadanam, Nadanam, Nasundaram. Whereas in Nishti, you know, it's, there's a cultivation. I should be humble. I should be tolerant. I should show respect to others. And and desire is there, but it but we 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 we, we check it hmm? because we have experience of some taste. There's a better life. Hmm? We know that, and we know it well with our intelligence. We, we we our faith is well informed from the shastra and so forth. And um, we have surrounded ourselves by by good association. We put the things in place that are said to be helpful, if not essential, and something like that. Does that help? Yeah. All right, we stop there. Sukrantara Srimad Bhagavatam Kijai. Gaur Bhaktavrinda Kijai.